Very good. Are you ready this morning? Last week, we started out telling you to fasten your seatbelts. You ready to fasten your seatbelts this morning? Or the other analogy I use is put on your ice skates because we're heading out on some thin ice this morning. I will offend somebody today. You've been warned. But I think it's really important that in a difficult season in the world, in difficult times, call for talking about difficult things and, and tackling them and, and leading through them. And it's tough. It's tough. Sometimes the Word of God is challenging to us. And I want to examine it today and share some of the thoughts that I think God has put on my heart for you and I today. Uh, we've been talking about the threat of fellowship. Uh, began with our friend Mark Spencer a couple of weeks ago was visiting us, and he was talking about how our, our relationships are connected by a thread. And sometimes we end up in a tug of war on that thread. And the thread of relationship is so important to God. The scripture is full of encouragements to you and I to do everything in our strength to preserve unity, to preserve relationship, to preserve the work of God that's going on in someone's life. And we want to be very sure that he is woven into that relationship like a braided cord that doesn't easily break. And so we want God as woven in as a part of our relationships. So sometimes we're in a tug of war, we get, we get to where we're angry with each other and we have debates and frustration, and we talked about the idea of how the toilet paper is supposed to go on the toilet paper roll, right? And how silly of an issue that is, but how many of you had debates about it because we've been talking about it at church? I had people send me memes of toilet paper all week because that was the example I used, but it's kind of funny, we laugh about it, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a metaphor for more serious matters about how we relate to each other and how silly we can be and how we will easily break the thread of fellowship with our friends, with our brothers and sisters in Christ over things that we disagree about. And I wonder, what does the scripture have to say about it? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 38 through 40, we looked at this. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. He's going on to the second commandment. And and this is Jesus speaking. "'You shall love your neighbor as yourself.'" On these two commandments, the first one being love the Lord your God, the second one being love your neighbor, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Love is paramount in this relationship with God and this relationship with one another. It becomes the most powerful component. All of the laws, all of the right and wrongs, all of the details about who God is can be summed up in these commands. Love God, love your neighbor. And that can be very difficult for you and I who want to be right first, who want to get it right. The most important thing to many of us is be right. I have to be right about things. We will argue to our point to be right. And love becomes subsidiary to being right or being first. Jesus is our example. We looked at this last week. This is my commandment that you love one another. And we... Talked about this in communion today as well. As I have loved you. Jesus sets himself up as the example to you and I of what it means to really love one another. And what an example he is. And if we take the time to examine his life and the way he dealt with people in certain situations. The way he went to the cross really uh, unjustly accused 
He had every right to defend himself. He had the power to call a legion of angels to rescue him. He had the right to save himself because he was being unjustly accused. And yet, in those difficult, wrong circumstances, he submitted himself to a greater power, a greater process, the will of God, in order to see God's purposes fulfilled in his life. And he says, I am the example, love as I have loved you. So then we ask ourselves the question, how was it that Jesus loved us? And am I then reflecting that same kind of love? It's an extravagant, extreme love to a point where we just kind of go, I don't even know if I can do that. And you know what? He's a great example. Jesus was perfect and we're not perfect, but we, we want to look at him as an example about how we love one another. Jesus valued his mission and his relationships over what was rightfully his due. We're Americans. We like our rights. We believe in those rights. And we will hold those rights in higher regard than we do our relationships at times. I have the right for you to treat me differently. I have the right to a fair trial, even though Jesus didn't get one. Etc., etc., etc. We take those things that we hold in high regard and they're good things, but sometimes God calls us to lay those things down like Jesus did. He had the right, but he didn't do it. He didn't take advantage of it. Instead, he submitted himself to something greater. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we see this Have this mind among yourselves. Okay. Here it is. The scripture's coming at us saying, have this mind. Okay, what kind of mind should we have among ourselves? Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, Jesus had all the power in the universe at his disposal, but instead what he did was he chose to humble himself even to the point of dying on a cross. And then you and I look at our own selves in the mirror, of our, in a spiritual mirror going, who am I? Do I love like Jesus? Are there areas in my life where I need to humble myself and, and lay it down and, and let the person put the toilet paper on the roll how they want? Rather than fighting to the bitter end and breaking relationship and destroying the work of God for the sake of my opinion is really what we're going to talk about today. So if I, I, I really probably will offend some of you today, and I would just encourage you, wrestle with the word of God. It's very difficult to come down to real, complete, absolutes and rights and wrongs in our evaluations and judgments. It's very difficult to do that. The scripture contains a balance of many things. A balance which Jesus strikes. We see it in some of the stories of the way he handled people. And it becomes a challenge for you and I in how we navigate life. And here's the crazy statement I want to make to you today that I believe the scripture supports. Being right is not always the most important thing. Being right is not always the most important thing. Now, do we want to get it right? Sure, we do. Do we want to be in alignment with God? Yes, we do. But we have to have some perspective about this. What does the scripture teach us about being right? And I want to spend my time today in Romans chapter 14 and examine this scripture. And we'll begin in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. 
So what, you, what the word is saying is, somebody is weak in faith. I should welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. But not to quarrel over opinions. The word of God instructs us to welcome someone that is weak in their faith, not to quarrel with them. And yet we, I, I read this and it just strikes me how often we want to quickly jump in, jump in and correct and challenge and beat on people with what we believe the truth is because they need to get it right and get straightened out. But instead, Paul has encouraged us in the books of, book of Romans to accept this person and not to quarrel over the opinions. And we'll go into his example. One person believes he may, may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, you and I today would look at this like some sort of vegetarian argument, but that is not what's going on in this situation. You have to understand the history. And under the Jewish law, and really in many of the cultures, there were things that were considered unclean. The law of God came through Moses to the Jews, and so they couldn't eat certain things. They couldn't eat bacon or ham. You're supposed to go, oh poor Jews. That's sad. There were lots of things they couldn't eat. God declared certain animals unclean. There were circumstances in which the person would become unclean. Like if they touched a dead body, they were considered unclean and they had to go through these ceremonies to become clean again. And so God, there's a whole teaching here. We go way into depth, probably for weeks about the, the purpose and the meaning of clean and unclean in the Old Testament. Why God did this with the Jews. And so Christianity uh, launched out of Jerusalem, out of the, the Jewish faith. That's what our foundation is. That's what our Old Testament is, the Jewish faith. And so as, it's, as the church is beginning to grow, and Paul and the other apostles are taking the gospel to the nations, they're still hanging on to a lot of their traditions and a lot of things that they believe are right and wrong. For the Jews, it is absolutely wrong for you to eat an unclean animal. We're talking sin. It is sinful for you to eat the bacon. It's wrong. And so Jesus had declared that all things were clean, but they're still struggling with this, this reality culturally and in theology. Theolog this is a theological issue. It's not a dietary issue. It's not a vegan, vegetarian, no cruelty to animals kind of thing. We're talking religious issue at the time. That can be very hard for you and I to grasp, but if we fast forward in today, we can, we can plug some things in here that are very, very controversial today that were not controversial then. And we can draw some understanding on what it means to love one another in very, very difficult circumstances by looking at this example. And this is hard. Can I just say, this is hard. What I'm about to share with you is hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to do. It takes some wrestling with God and wrestling with the word to come to a place where we can navigate it with a clear conscience. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So what goes on in this situation? The guy that believes it's the most righteous thing to not eat the meat, he despises the guy that does. He's taking advantage of grace. He's whatever his reasonings are. 
He's, he's sinning. He's not doing what God wants him to do. And he despises the one who, do, who eats the meat. And yet the one who eats the meat looks down on the other guy and goes, you need to grow up, dude. You need to get beyond this. Jesus taught this. Clearly the Bible teaches this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> Excuse me. And clearly the Bible does. And isn't it true that you and I end up in situations where we can do the same thing with other people in our lives who don't agree with us about our beliefs? Look at how many denominations there are in the world. How many different churches? I mean, we could go around the room here and find all kinds of differences of opinions of what the Bible says and how it works and what God's saying about this and what God's saying about that. And and we do want to seek truth. We want to keep digging. We want to learn more about God. But if we take on the attitudes that he's talking about here, we're not going to get anywhere. Because sometimes we like to dig our heels in on an issue, and I'm going to be right to my grave. No one's going to change my mind because I'm stubborn. Like, that's a good thing. No, but we need to be flexible in the hands of God. We need to grow, and we learn from one another, and we learn from the word. But Paul is giving a certain permission here to be weak. What? How is this okay? Paul should just say, it's wrong for you, it's, it's okay for you to eat the meat, end of story. Because that's the ultimate bottom line, right? Or is it? I mean, what is right in this situation? The ultimate actual fact is it's okay to eat meat. But, this guy is struggling with it. He can't quite believe it. He's not buying into that idea. What do I do with that? I'm going to unfriend him on Facebook. For God has what, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, we all like to think we're on the side of the guy who eats the meat. He's got it right, right? But perhaps we're the other guy and don't realize it. I haven't yet come to another level of understanding about the meat situation. So here I am thinking it's wrong to eat meat. What do I do with that? How do I navigate that? For God has welcomed him. God accepts him even though he's off. Is that uncomfortable? If we take that and begin to apply it to some other issues that are maybe a bigger deal to us today, how do we then begin to feel about it? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is the foundation of you and I's faith, that God will hold us up. Not one of us will die and stand before God and go, I'm here, I got it all right, I'm ready to be judged, bring it. Is anybody going to be that confident or arrogant when we die and we stand before God? Nobody. Because I think we're going to enter into an understanding that we couldn't even fathom here in this life. We're going to step across the other side into the afterlife and we're going to see God and we're going to see the situation and we're going to go, oh boy. (laughs) And we're going to remember this passage, but I'm his servant and I will stand not because I was right, not because I did everything perfectly, not because I had the right opinions or I voted for the right guy or I lived in the right country or I had the right color skin. I'm going to stand before God and he's going to uphold me. He is going to uphold me. And when we look around at the people that sometimes we're tempted to despise because they don't agree with us in the faith, 
other denominations or groups, and we can say, oh, clearly the Bible doesn't teach that, or clearly this, or clearly that, and we're right, and I don't know. We cannot live that way. God holds the relationship in higher value than getting everything perfectly right. That is hard to believe. And it's hard to navigate in relationships. We want to preserve the thread of relationship, making every effort, as the scripture says. And I wonder, are we too quick in our condemnation of others because they don't have it right in our opinion? And cut that thread of fellowship, destroying the church's example to the world. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So what about some of the issues that are a big deal today? I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Let's talk about some faith things, okay? We're a, we're a charismatic church. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are active today. We believe that God speaks to his people. We believe that the Holy Spirit is at power. We believe God heals. We believe in those things. Many, many, we're, we're what's called a continuationist faith. We believe that the power of the Holy Spirit has continued through the generations. Many, many, many churches do not agree with us. They are cessationists. They believe that the power of the Holy Spirit ended with the first century apostles. There's a lot of detail to that argument. But many of you that have been around the church world very long, you know what that is. You know what I'm talking about. And I wonder, can we get along? Okay, I think you're missing out because you're not activating the gifts of the Spirit. You're not enjoying the power and the presence of God. That's still not a deal breaker. They will stand before God because he's able to make them stand even if I think they got it wrong. Because the reality is none of us will stand on our own getting it right. Even though we want to get it right. See, this is a, there's a spectrum here. There's a balance. There's a set of scales. And you could take what I say and just become extreme and say I don't have to worry about getting it right. Well, that's not true either. We do need to continue to grow and learn, but we got to do, do so with such a humility and a grace for one another. A, a, a love like Jesus had. It's such a profound story in the scripture when they catch a woman in adultery and the law of God, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses instructs them to stone her, to kill her. And what does Jesus do? I don't even know what he did. He got on the ground. He started writing in the sand. The people go away. And what does he say to her? There's no one left to condemn you. She says, no, sir. Neither do I condemn you. What? But she's wrong. She's violated the law. Her punishment is due. Your law says this, God. This is what you taught us to do. Now, but what does Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. He doesn't condone the sin. Sin is always sin, always has been, always will be. The boundaries and definitions of it haven't really changed. It's anything outside the character and nature of God, really. And things not done in faith. They don't change with the times. And yet, God, in, in our brokenness, and our screwing things up, 
he has a grace and he instructs us to have the same thing. So when our brother comes to us and his understanding about something is wrong or off or weaker or less or whatever you want to categorize it as, we are instructed to accept him, not to argue with him about opinions. It's very difficult. There are other things. How about the way Sunday services should go? We have a lot of people that come and visit, and I hear a lot of different perspectives about how church is supposed to be done. A lot. You know, some people think we need to do communion every week. Communion should be a part of the message, not a part of the worship. We should do hymns, not contemporary. Drums are of the devil. You know, all these kinds of things. Right? There's all kinds of opinions about how church should be done. And the Bible does give us a lot of things. Hey, you know, it says when, when, when you come together, someone should have a song, a hymn, or a spiritual song. There it is in the Bible. We need to do hymns. And then someone says, if someone's prophesying two or at the most three, well, we should have an open mic. Anybody should get to talk. There's, all, there's a huge spectrum of understanding about how the church should be. And so we wrestle with those things. And yeah, we do need to find what makes sense for us and what fits, but all with tremendous humility and grace. What about other things in life that we think are connected to moral issues? You want me to raise the temperature in here about five degrees? How about I use the word vaccines? Exactly. You said it out loud, but half the room did that right here. Oh, no, what's he going to (laughs) say? I don't know what to say. We believe different things. We come to different conclusions. If We have to be very, very careful about what we end up being absolutists and condemning others for, regardless of what you believe about it. Can we now, see, we are the light of the world. We are the example. We are the ones with hope. And yet, for the sake of our opinions, we destroy our own message and destroy our own reputation and destroy our own opportunity. This is what I think is actually the problem right now in our country is the church has destroyed its reputation. The church has destroyed its reputation. Our job is to be a light, but we're so bent on this righteous thing that we then alienate every single person that doesn't completely agree with us. Where is the grace? Where is the compassion? Where is the Romans 14? Where are we welcoming those we disagree with not to argue? These are very, I told you, it's difficult stuff. It's hard. But, 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 how many of you in your heart, you're going, but, but what about, but what about, but what about? Yeah, I get it. I'm doing it too. God, what about this? What about that? But he instructed us to love as he loved. How did he love? How did Jesus love us? There's so much we can learn looking at his example. You see, so, well, Psalm 143, verse 2. Here's the thing. We've got to do this with humility. Enter not into judgment with your servant. This person is crying out to God, the psalmist. Crying out to God and saying, don't enter into judgment against me, is what this is. For no one living is righteous before you. That's true. No one on his own is righteous before God. Our self-righteousness will never, ever, ever stand. It will not be sufficient. No one is righteous. And we read it again in Romans chapter 3. 
For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We are all in the same boat. When it comes to actual legal standing before God at judgment, we are all in the same boat. That should prompt you and I to a tremendous level of compassion and grace, not judgment and anger. Because we, will all, we would all be on the same side of the issue. We would all lose. Not one of us would be righteous before God without Jesus. Justified by his grace as a gift. As a gift that he gave us. And so when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ and the people we are doing life with around us, we, we've got to operate with the kind of thinking that Paul's instructing us in in Romans chapter 14. Being right did not restore our relationship with God. You did not restore your relationship with God. For those of you who have given your life to Christ, you did not get that by doing the right thing. You got it as a gift. You got it through faith. When we stand before God, as I've said many times already this morning, we will not inherit eternal life because of what we did right. Being right didn't get us eternal life. It didn't restore our relationship with God. It doesn't make us righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? The definition of righteous is to be morally justifiable. On our own accord, no one is morally justifiable. No one is righteous, not one. And the scripture supports that and says that. So then, when we're dealing with one another, when we're wrestling over the issues, when we're disagreeing over things, Tremendous humility is necessary. I had a picture, but I didn't get that on there, did I, Emmett? I'm missing it. Well, I'll tell you the story. (laughs) I received a photo from a Snapchat from my daughter who's on the University of Montana campus. And there's a gentleman standing there with a sign, and it says, Hell awaits. And he lists all these sins. Hell awaits. And people were joking about it. It's calling it hell bingo. How many did you get? You know, just like to do with the other Facebook things. (laughs) And I wondered. It's interesting. I'm like, I'm wrestling with this issue about being right. And I look at it and I go, well, I mean, there's a certain aspect of what he's saying is right. The Bible is very, very clear. Let's read a couple passages here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know, this is Paul writing, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We understand that sin is wrong. And this guy has a list of sins, and the consequences of sin is hell. We know that's true. Is he right? Maybe technically, but he's wrong. Why, why is he wrong? Because that's not our message. Our message is that we are all in the, that boat, including the guy holding the sign. We all lose that bingo game. Every single person. The hope is in 
Christ, the gift of eternal life, the mercy that he has despite the fact that we've all been guilty of the things on the lists. Not one of us was sinless. We all messed up. God hates sin. He instructs us to run away from sin. He's clear about what sin is. We want to do that because of our relationship with him. But none of those things ever put us in a position of being self-righteous. We will always struggle with these kinds of things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He's talking about false teachers here as the context. He says, and I just wonder, and I look at, I look at, myself and I look at the world around me and I look at church and Christianity and I I just wonder, gosh, we got to be careful. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. I don't know if there's a better word that describes how I feel about the condition of things other than constant friction. And the provocation of constant friction. And and why does this constant friction take place? Because there's a craving for controversy. A craving to fight and argue. To produce dissension and slander. It should nauseate us. The level of this that's going on in the world when we scroll through our Facebook feeds and we talk to our friends and we hear the chatter in the coffee shops, the level, the level of this, the evil suspicion, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This is not the church. This is not what the church is called to. We are called to love like he loved. And when Jesus dealt with people, even when they were wrong, completely wrong, like the woman caught in adultery, like Zacchaeus who was stealing the money, story after story after story in the Bible, how did Jesus love? He never tolerated or condoned sin. And that's not my message. But I don't think that's the issue. It is in some cases. One person, we go back to Romans chapter 14. One person considers one day more sacred than another. We see this. We see this at home. Some of you are like big birthday people. Some of you are big Christmas people. Some of you are big Thanksgiving. Some of you even celebrate President's Day probably. You're so crazy about holidays. Another considers every day alike. They're all the same. We get this way. You know, the Bible makes very clear, just like with the food, the Sabbath becomes a thing. Same, same idea. Yes, the principle of Sabbath is right and good. Do you keep a rigid legalistic Saturday from sundown to sunup? Or sundown to sundown? No. But, you know, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. If that's what you choose to do, you don't want to eat the meat, you're lost. I think. What do we got to do? We got to figure out how to compromise. That was the word Mark used. We've got to learn how to do that. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. It's fine. It's fine if he's going to do that. It's part of his journey and his relationship with God. You then, I'm going to go ahead and continue just reading through Romans. 
and we'll wrap up today. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? Why would you do that? Don't do that. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So if somebody's really stressing you out about what they think or believe, give it to God. They'll stand before God someday. It will be up to them. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. I don't know how much more clear he needs to make it. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Powerful instruction. When you begin to cause someone else to stumble with your actions, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who believe, I'm sorry, anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Key phrase, if you walk away with any verse in your head today, let it be this one. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or fill in the blank. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. If God is working in someone's life, work with it. Do not destroy the work for the sake of your opinion. Take very, very seriously the word of God that instructs us to make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. This requires a tremendous amount of humility and grace when we're walking through difficult issues. A patience. A trust in God. See, Jesus said... If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. Or we read in Philippians, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He submitted himself to God even in everything that was wrong about the circumstances he was in. And I wonder, what will the church do if things continue to go wrong for the church? Will we lose our way? The mission and the kingdom of God transcends nations, transcends eras and time. 2,000 years this gospel has been going forward. It's not going to stop now. It doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. It could all collapse around our ears. The Bible's actually pretty clear. It's just going to keep getting worse. That's okay. Should we panic and be angry? No, we entrust ourselves to something bigger, bigger than our circumstances, even bigger than what we can comprehend. God instructs us to love like he loved us. Would you stand, please?
this can stir a lot of unsettled feelings about things. But what about, but what about, so are you saying that, that, that we shouldn't do anything? Are you saying that we should tolerate sin? Are you saying, no. <laughs> this is a, there's a spectrum here. There's a balance. This takes time. It takes wrestling with the word of God. It takes prayer, communication and community and all those kind of things as we work it through. Take the word of God to heart this morning. I didn't make this up. I read what it says to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word, that our understanding of your word would be fostered by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Lord, as we seek to understand how to navigate a difficult time in a difficult place, as we seek to be unified and to glorify you in the midst of our trials and tribulations in a difficult season, God, lead us. You are our leader. You are our king. You are the one who holds us up when we couldn't. Every one of us would fall before you in judgment. But you loved us so much, you'll hold us up anyway. And we're so grateful for that grace. And the peace that we can have knowing that even if you came, home, came here today, even if you arrived today, we have a hope in you, a trust in you. God, help us to be that city on a hill that your word calls the church. A light in a dark place. In Jesus' name, amen.